Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Hi there. Well, we're in Romans chapter 2, having uh, survived the rigours of chapter 1. Like I said, it gets worse. Now he turns it and twists everything he's said against religious people. And um, that puts us on the hook. So up to now, he's been talking um, more or less in global terms about Roman culture and all of those naughty Gentiles. Now he just spins on his mates. And uh, he says, so listen. Every one of you that judges others, you yourself have no defence. While you judge others, you condemn yourself. For you who set yourself up as a judge do exactly the same things. We know that God's judgment is directed against everyone who does such things, and that's based on reality. Are you counting on this? You who set yourself up as a judge upon people who do such things, and yet you do them yourself that you'll escape the condemnation of God? Or are you treating with contempt the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not recognising that God's kindness is meant to cause you to repent? In your obtuseness and in in your impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. That day when there will be revealed the righteous judgment of God who will settle accounts with every person according to their deeds. To those who sought glory and honour and immortality and steadfast good work, he'll assign eternal life. To those who are dominated by ambition, who were disobedient to truth, obedient to evil, there'll be wrath and anger, tribulation and affliction. These things will come upon the soul of everyone who does the bad thing, the Jew first, then the Greek. But glory and honour and peace will come to everyone who does the good thing, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. There is no favouritism with God. Well, of all the passages in Paul, if you want to understand the essence of his religion and how it pans out, this is probably up there. It's one of the most important And he addresses what I believe are the main faults of contemporary evangelical Protestantism and a lot of other forms of Christianity as well. Had a number of people new to the church lately who've come in. They've said, I love this place. What sort of religion are you people doing here? It's different. Well, it's because in part, I think we take this stuff a little bit seriously. Any religion, and and this is where Paul is going with this, any religion that can define itself opposed to other people, a them and an us, Paul is scathing towards in this passage. When people can talk and pray about those people, when you have a sense that you are really different to everyone else and somehow you're good with God and they're not and lucky you, you've got appalling religion, when we excuse ourselves, our leaders, our family, our friends, our sect for 
dabbling in the behaviours that other people are writing large over their lives, we are lost. And when we think that a little sinner's prayer, where we make a little prayer to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins just once in our life, and that will make us right with God, that's just rubbish. Steadfast good work. Steadfast loyalty. Steadfast service, Paul talks about. That's what gets you right with God. And any religion that goes down this line of, oh, God is gracious, is a lost cause. That is not what God is looking for from us. And in this passage, there are four tremendous arguments that Paul launches that we ignore at our peril. They will soften us. They will change the way we do the religion. They will change our view of ourselves as the ministers of this religion. And we will become more useful to people and far more careful about how we live before God. So four arguments, four days. Um, we'll just do the first one today. Now, the first one is this. The nature of God. The Jews had this idea at the time that they were going to be judged entirely on their racial heritage, not on anything else. And, and I've got a list of, you know, apocryphal things here and other stuff. But, you know, um, one, Abraham sits beside the gates of hell and does not allow any wicked Israelite to go through. He goes straight to heaven. He's just a Jew. He's good. And, and equally, all the Gentiles are going to hell because there's no hope for them. They're just those people. Now, that's the environment. So Paul lambasts the, the Roman world, the, the pagan world, and all of these good Jewish people is going to go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. And he spins it. And so as he spins it onto the Jewish people, let's just forget Jews and Gentiles. Let's think about religious people and not religious people and count ourselves on the hook. So number one, he makes an argument from the nature of God. He says, you guys believing that are trading on the mercy of God. That is dangerous. Are you treating with contempt the kindness, forbearance and patience of God? Are you spitting on the character of God by the way you live? Kindness. There's two words for kindness in the New Testament. One is a kindness that can come through very stern. When Jesus fashions the whip and cleanses the temple, that's that sort of kindness. It's not wrong. It's not doing something bad. It's, it's a, a sort of a, a hard kindness. He's, you know, he's trying to get something working that will be good for these people, but it's got a blinking, you know, the equivalent in my family when I grew up was the wooden spoon. You know, it's got the wooden spoon in it. The other one is just a simple loveliness. So the woman who comes in and washes his feet with her hair, it's embarrassing. It's over the top. You'd, you'd expect a bit of a wooden spoon, surely. Nothing. That's the word that's being used here for that sort of kindness. A beautiful, lovely gentleness in God towards us. Paul says, you continue on in your sins. You continue on acting the same as the people who lock the truth about God up in their sin. The people who give themselves to idolatry and worship themselves. You live like that. You are not only living wrong and attracting the wrath, you know, that principle of it'll just break you in due course. You're spitting on God himself. Come on. God has been kind to you. 
that's meant to cause you to go, wow, I love this guy and convert. So do it. Second thing, forbearance. Um, it's, a, it's a word for a truce. It's, a, um, it's sort of like a cessation of hostility, but it's a cessation that's got a limit. You know, you think you're safe because the judgment of God doesn't come down on you. Every time you do something wrong, something bad doesn't happen. You know, you don't, you don't sin, get a car crash. Sin, get another car crash. It's not like that. And you think, oh, well, <laughs> God's not really watching. It's all good. Paul says, don't be stupid. Take the view of your life as being something valuable, important, going somewhere. Think of yourself as a steward of your life. God has declared truce on your sins, but the, the accounting is coming. You can't sin forever with impunity. Patience. Well, again, it's much the same, I guess. You know, the fact that punishment doesn't immediately follow sin is not a proof that God is powerless. It's proof that he is patient. We owe our lives to the patience of God. How's that? We owe our lives to the patience of God. Now, sure, there is a massive overlay of grace and we're going to get to it. But if we want to understand Paul, we've got to understand that he is addressing this vague, undefined sense of impunity that we all carry. I'd be all right with me. <laughs> you know, the Paul Hagen theology, me and God, me and Jesus. We'd be mates. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You are as lost in your sin as the next guy. If Jesus doesn't save you, you're in a world of pain and it behooves you to jolly well get your act together and start to repent. That's number one. Are you spitting on the grace, forbearance, patience, kindness of God? Let's pray. Well, doing it this way, Lord, we don't get to escape anything. We've got to look at every piece, and some of it's jolly uncomfortable. Father, we want to pray for the church today. God, where the church is seen to be um, self-righteous, assuming that they have a different spiritual status to anybody else, assuming there's two sets of rules almost, and, and assuming that they can go out and tell people that God hates them, while they love us, assuming that there's some sort of limited salvation that works one way for us and one way for the rest of the world. God, forgive us. And Father, help our communities, God, to be the opposite of that. Help us to be people who are seen to be living lives of genuine integrity. Help us, God, to be getting ourselves right. Not, not saying to someone, you've got a plank in your eye, now, what is it? You've got a, a splinter in your eye. Well, we've got a plank in our own. So, Father, thank you for the grace that withholds your wrath against or withholds the wrath against us. Thank you for the mercy. But, Father, this morning as we go out into the adventures of today, we recollect we are not your peers. We are not your colleagues. We are not in negotiation with you. We are your creatures and you are our creator, our judge, and our disposer. And you, in great mercy, have given us stewardship of this life. We have been given a, a body, a mind, a level of intelligence, um, a society that we inhabit, a whole range of things, God, and these we are to steward. 
and used to your glory. So, Lord, today we come to you asking with our brother Paul that we might do a good job of that. God, that we might not presume on you. Father, that we might remember for all we are loved, for all your patience is all over us, that we are the creature and you are the creator. We are the judged. You are the judge. We are mortal. You are not. And ultimately, we will stand before you. So, Lord, today we abandon our ambitions where they're false and wrong and adopt your desires for our lives. Father, we abandon the idea that there are wonderful, wonderful resources in the kingdom of God and pick them up to use them as weapons of righteousness in our own lives. And Father, we abandon the thought of how good are we and, Lord, simply want to come to you and say thank you for your grace, thank you for the cross, Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Now, who could we share that with? These things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, folks. We will go on in the same passage tomorrow and pick up the next big idea. God bless. See you then. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.